Welcome to the 147th episode of the Young Turfs podcast from the Viner Fourgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's podcast, we're talking all about the Turfs win over Rutgers, plus joining us on this podcast, Trey Watson, the former second-team All-American and grad transfer to the Turfs and member of the XFL that's starting up this weekend. Jordan, we had a nice chat with him the other day. Yeah, um, I'd go out and say it's one of our best interviews we've had, but we'll let you guys decide that. And yeah, we're happy that Trey was able to join us. But before we get into all that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied has what you need. Whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival, Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories that you're looking for. Wayne from Turp Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMV today. Contact Allied at 301-986-0067 or visit them on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown. We're going to start things off in the rundown. As always, women's basketball uh, destroyed Michigan State Monday night at home at 94-53. Several players in the figures, but highlighted by freshman Ashley Owasu with her career-high 22 points. And sharpshooter Taylor Mike set returning to form with 21. A big win for the number 13 Terps, who travel to Bloomington tomorrow for a matchup with the second place team in the Big Ten, number 18 Indiana Hoosiers. Yeah, and for those of you who do not know, Maryland currently sits at number three in the Big Ten behind Northwestern and Indiana. Wrestling, uh, the Terps on the mat lost to number two Penn State, 40-3 to in Happy Va- Valley. Uh, team is now at 2-13 and 13 and will host Illinois on Sunday. Yeah, um, for those keeping track at home, they have now surpassed their loss total for last season. Uh, this has not been the season that wrestling wanted. Yeah, it is not, but uh, Coach Clemson in his first year trying to change over a lot of things in that program. Uh, give him the benefit of the doubt, I guess, for now, and we'll we'll see where we are around this time next season. Uh, the Jim Terps took down number 25 Illinois on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, by the score of 195.475 to 193.950. Uh, Saturday, the number 19 Terps face number 14 Nebraska and Lincoln. Uh, should be a big crowd out there. Uh, know they like their non-revs uh, yes, they... at Nebraska. Yeah, they do. Uh, that's a big game for Maryland and the Big Ten as a whole. Um, another gymnastics news, Sierra Wright made the Sports Center's top 10 plays with a balance beam performance. Apparently, I haven't seen it, um, but uh, I'm assuming it must have been really something special to make it onto SC Top 10 as gymnastics. Yeah, I didn't see that one either. I didn't even know about that. Uh, in the tennis, uh, out on the tennis court, the Terps lost to VCU 5-2 to two at home Sunday. The Terps, now 4-2, and two, traveled to Oregon for a pair of games this upcoming weekend against Idaho and the Ducks. Yeah, uh, tennis, after a promising start going 4-0 in the first weekend, dropped. Uh, they were even close in these last two matches, so hopefully they can uh, turn the corner a little bit. Yeah, now onto the lacrosse field. Midfielder Jack Brennan named uh, Big Ten Freshman of the Week this past week for his two-goal performance against High Point. Uh, men's Lax is heading down I-95 for a bout with Richmond Saturday noon on uh, ESPN+, Plus, where you can catch myself uh, on noon on ESPN+, Plus on Sunday. Uh, down here in Jacksonville, uh, I'll be in the analyst role for their uh, women's lacrosse opener. Oh, that's good to hear, and um, I, I'm going to have to miss that one, too. I gotta, I, I'm disappointed. I have to work this weekend during the Defenders' first game and uh, apparently this men's lacrosse game, so not a great draw for me this week, at least. 
Uh, no, it's not, and, th and that's what happened. A lot of these noon starts, ESPN Plus really giving uh, the the uh, nation a good chance to, to look at a lot of lacrosse games along with the ACC Network, too, uh, getting more of those out there online. Women's lacrosse, the preseason number one ranked uh, Terps, gets started this weekend with a trip around the Beltway to George Mason. Yeah, I'm a, a little surprised they had a road game against George Mason to start the schedule off, but I guess that's how it is on uh, in the non-rev world. Yeah, I mean, last year, George Mason came to play the Terps. This year, uh, Mason probably will host, uh, I'm going to say it's going to be a record-breaking crowd for their women's lacrosse program. I'd assume it pro it's probably going to be mostly Terp crowd. You know, it's it's a, it's something that will draw the fans out. You know, playing the number one team in any sport usually draws a big crowd. In this case, a team that's local uh, that doesn't play many games in Northern Virginia will, and hopefully they'll get a fair amount of George Mason and Maryland fans. The Terps should dominate that game. Probably around 20-4 to four, that score will be. And finally, softball. Softball opens tomorrow with two games in the Texas Classic. Uh, one against Wichita State, the other against the host, the Texas Longhorns. The team will play five games in the next three days, and uh, baseball starts up next week too, so this non-rev report's going to be really long for a couple episodes here. Yes, it will, and we're looking forward to those sports as they try and both of them bounce back campaigns. Uh, on to some other news. Former Maryland tight end Vernon Davis has announced his retirement during the Super Bowl pregame show. Uh, 15 seasons in the NFL for VD. For VD. Uh, he ends his career as the Terps NFL leader in ne nearly every receiving category. Jordan could be the second Terp uh, in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you know who the first one is, Mason. We're going to quiz you anyway. Yeah, it has to be uh, Randy White, the best player in the history of the ACC. Look, I, I feel like a lot of people knew this was coming. I definitely felt like this was coming. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he goes next. I feel like TV could definitely be somewhere he ends up, could be a color commentator in the NFL very soon. Um, but I, I, on his official tweet, I mean, the way he re announced his retirement was a little bit confusing. I'm sure a lot of people have seen that. His official tweet that confirmed he was retiring, um, a lot of commenters I noticed were saying, you know, come back to College Park, come back to College Park. And I really do hope uh, he comes back to Maryland. I feel like he would have no trouble getting a job with Mike Loxley's staff. Yeah, I think where uh, life is going to take Vernon Davis is onto the acting stage. That that seemed to be where he was pointing uh, like he wanted to go towards being an actor. But, you know, I could see him on the staff at Maryland, maybe in the radio booth with uh, Johnny and CJ, too. I definitely would love to see that. Um, some more NFL Terp news. Anthony McFarland and Javon Leak were both invited to the NFL Combine. Um no, no surprises there, but uh, on my end, uh, NDSU pass rusher Derek Tuska also got his combine invitation, so I got a lot of things to watch during combine day. Yeah, the guy that uh, is left out of this is, of course, none other than Antoine Brooks. Um, I don't know where, I don't know if he is going to receive an NFL combine invite or not, but that would be very surprising if he is not to. Well, you know how the combine works. They stagger the invitations out a little bit, so it's still likely he'll get one. Yeah, back to lacrosse. Uh, Logan Wisnowski is also in the SC Top 10. Uh, he was the number seven with his goal against High Point uh, on Sunday. Yeah, the Terps are not really getting some attention recently. And to some other football news, uh, Tyrell Pogrom has reportedly entered the transfer portal, portal according to Inside Maryland Sports as a grad transfer. And if this is the case, he'll finish his career in College Park with 33 appearances, 1,592 yards, nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and on the ground, 617 yards and eight touchdowns. It'll be interesting to see how Piggy's legacy settles at College Park. 
Yeah, I think if this is to be the end for uh, Piggy at Maryland, it's going to be an up-and-down ride. You know, he starts off as this kind of star player in his option packages where he's just a runner, and then the injuries uh, come in for him. The the first one obviously being that game in Austin where he gets hurt, uh, tears his ACL, and, and his season is over. And then he battles for a starting job, you know, first off against Kasim Hill uh, in the Matt Canada season, and then... Uh, you know, he has that game against Ohio State, which I'm sure will be remembered fondly by both by most Maryland fans. We talk about that game a little bit uh, later with Trey Watson. But overall, it's just a hectic time for Maryland. It's been a hectic time at the quarterback position since Piggy's been here. Uh, he, he's made some plays, but he's also he's also fallen short uh, quite a few times. Yeah, and that is something that I think will maybe be his most remembered trait is you mentioned this, I believe, when we were arguing, that's some way the word for it, was arguing about who should the star quarterback be last season, or two seasons ago, I guess now, in that Canada season, is Tyrell Pogrom had two games back-to-back against Ohio State and then against Indiana, where the team fell just one play short of being bowl eligible. Obviously, they weren't in the end. And the kind of argument was more or less is – just falling short kind of his thing. And maybe at the end of the day it is, but I, I, I would like to thank him for his title Maryland because he, yeah, he was here during a hectic time, one of the most hectic times. And he always, he didn't always work well, but he always played his hardest. And he always, most of the time I felt like he gave the offense a spark when they desperately needed it. Yeah. I mean, you talk about falling short and he did against Indiana this past season too. You saw that. But he's just had some bad moments, too. Uh, he he can't be remembered as, as a great quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, but definitely a guy that can light a fire under an offense that was otherwise stagnant at some points when he took over. But we'll see where this takes him. Maybe he doesn't even leave Maryland. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case, either. Well, um, some final football news. We have two commits that we're going to talk about today, but we're not really going to get into them. We're going to have a bigger class overview next week. But for now, uh, former four-star safety Osida Smith signed with Maryland football today. Uh, the Columbia product signed with WVU last season, but then took a prep school year instead. And he will be the second straight top-rated player of Howard County to join the Terps, which is always good. Again, playing your roots in DMV, another DMV to UMD. Yeah, uh, big get here. Terps need some help in the secondary. Uh, Smith can hope to provide that. We'll have more on this again in the next episode. And Maryland also landed 2021 tight end Joseph Burtis out of St. Francis, um, St. Francis in Baltimore. I didn't have any other offers, so we're going to really have to um, get into this next week and have to look at him because he doesn't have a rating or any other offers. So I guess we'll see what we see on the film on that one. Yeah, uh, for a lot of these guys, they're diamond in the rough type players, and um, this is definitely going to put him on the map. He'll have a star rating soon. I'm sure he will. Uh Back onto the hardwood before we talk about the Terps win over Rutgers. Uh, Jalen Smith and Anthony Cowan both named to the final 20 uh, of the Wooden Award watch list. And despite Anthony Cowan not being named to the top 10, the Bob Cousy Award watch list, which is the best point guard uh, award in the country, for those of you who don't know, how do you be named a top 20 player for the best player in the country award, but not a top 10 point guard? Uh, the problems in the college sports award system show if they ever did uh, in, in this I guess selection, for lack of a better word. 
I mean, the outrage on Twitter that I saw for this was real, and it should be. Anthony Cowan is a great college basketball player, and I mean, he's an All-American contention. I just, I, I'm so frustrated by this one. I, it was one of those that I actually took a deep breath not to just have a rant on Twitter because I was, I, it offends me as a Maryland fan. This one, it really does. Yeah, I'm very surprised by this one. Not not something that I expected to see at all. Anthony Cowan's been very well re- um, regarded as far as the national picture is in college basketball this season, so this is very surprising to me. Well, Six and Ant both being on there is a testament to the program and how well those two have played this season. And Six really, at this point, is in attention to win the award. I mean, he has just been, again last night, just a dominant force on the hardwood. Yeah, he was last night. Gave the Terps a start that they needed with back-to-back three-pointers, and that's a good uh, segue into our, our what will be a short recap of the Maryland uh, win over Rutgers. Yeah, so th- this is a, this really is a game where we have to talk about it in segments of how the game actually went. Because, yeah, Maryland started off really hot. Uh, Sticks did a good job, got hit back-to-back threes, hit the first eight points of the game. Um, Chol got in there with 14 to 8 at 12 minute timeout, and it looked like Maryland was doing really well. But then, just a grinding halt. Uh, Rutgers hits a 7 0 run. Maryland, they tie the game up at 16. Um, after you fast forward a little bit, it's a 15 to 4 run for Rutgers that ends, I think, 19 to 5 or something like that. But Rutgers only got up eight points, despite how well they were playing and how horrible the Maryland offense became. Although I'm going to credit the Rutgers defense more than Maryland's offense. They really did some good um, strategies to stop Maryland, like cutting off Anthony Cowan's drives, putting all of emphasis on stripping the ball, taking away six in the post, and Maryland really f- struggled, but that's really what it came down to to me, is I was sitting there around the two or three minute mark left in the first half, and I was like, Mar- Maryland hasn't scored in like five minutes, but Rutgers only winning by seven, and that really is what doomed them, is Rutgers could not take advantage of the fact that Maryland couldn't score. Yeah, it was a Rutgers basketball game if I've ever seen one. This is the way they play. Um, th- this is ha- how Rutgers d- does it, and uh, it came down again to the Terps' two stars. Jalen Smith, 14 points, 15 rebounds. Anthony Cowan, 17 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists on the game. Terps get secondary scoring in this one from Daryl Morsell with 14, and then really no one else. I mean, Aaron Wiggins gives the Terps 5 off the bench, 6 rebounds for him, but uh, it came from Morsell in this one. And that kind of segues into maybe like the highlight of the game. So in the second half, Maryland comes out scoring a little bit, get some offensive movement. A higher energy defense is really starting to pay off. Um, so Rutgers hits a three with 15:30 left. Daryl gets a nice dunk, and then like maybe the sequence of the year kicks off, where Sticks hits a three on Maryland's offense. He has a huge block that Anthony Cowan saves, and then they run up the court to the other side. And Jalen Smith just makes a absolute monster dunk that set the crowd to a frenzy. Um, it probably was a sports center last night, I inspect. But it got everybody out. Kevin Herter said when that when he was watching that play in his hotel room and he jumped up, screamed and started flexing when the dunk happened. Bruno Fernando was tweeting, like it was it set Maryland to blaze. I don't know if you I'm sure you see that, Mason. It was an epic uh sequence. Yeah, definitely. Um Jalen just such a good player, and and he's really starting to show that that Jalen Smith is here to kind of put himself into the NBA. That, that's what seems to be 
uh, what he's playing for now. And, and, and you can just see him. He's starting to become, in my opinion, uh, the player for this team. It, this team goes and stops with, with Jalen Smith and Anthony Cowan. But when when they seem to need points and they, when they seem to need big plays, it's starting to switch off to uh, Jalen Smith instead of Anthony Cowan, in my opinion. And that may be true, but there's some evidence to that kind of flips the narrative on that. But getting back into the game, Maryland was up eight with eight minutes left. Ant hit a three, but then there was one play in the second that I felt like changed momentum and got us back to being a tie at the four-minute time that, which is there was a questionable hook-and-hold calling Anthony Cowan, which is, of course, technical foul. And it gave Rutgers possession, gave them two free throws, but I don't think it was actually a hook-and-hold, but that's a, that's a different story. Uh, Rutgers gets a run, 47-all. And I know you, Mason, when it was tied at 47, you were not sure if we were going to win this game or not. Yeah, I really didn't think they were going to win this game. Jordan, it, it's symbolic of what Mark Turgeon's teams have been made out of. You know, Rutgers is a tough team that wants to come in and bully you, play you with defense, and they're a great team. You know, they're they're 16-7 on this season. They're having a year uh, for the ages as far as Rutgers basketball is concerned. They're probably on their way to the tournament for the first time since, I don't know, Jordan, fill in the blank. 1991. Yeah, they're on their way to that. You can see it uh, um, now. They're struggling like a lot of these teams do on the road. They're 1-5 in the road uh, now this season of 15-0 uh, at the rack. Uh, but it showed that this team is playing with something different right now. The Terps 8 and 3, 18 and 4 on top of the or tied atop the Big 10, setting up a huge tilt against Illinois Jordan, but not in a conventional way. It's kind of been to the point where a lot of Mark Turgeon teams have slipped. They were on the brink of that and since then they picked it up. Yeah, and one thing that you need to mention in this game is Anthony Cowan with um, one minute and 12 seconds left before Daryl Morsell hit some free throws, scored 11 straight points for the Terps. Every point from 36 to, uh, not 36, I believe 51, 39 to 51 was Anthony Cowan. So when Maryland really needed him, he sh- he showed up again. He's got 11 points. He hit a couple of threes. He, I think, gave me a steal in there. He really, he did what needed him to do. And the punctuation mark in this game was Jalen Smith just absolutely spiked the lane, but kept my Rutgers prized big man that got the crowd hyped up again and gave Maryland the win essentially because it got there more so back to the free throw line and extend the lead up to four. That was a tough game, but it's one you have to give Maryland credit for because like you said, they don't seem to win. They didn't seem to win a lot of those for the season. Yes. And, and bottom line for this one is a win is a win. Let's quickly look at Illinois where Trey Watson uh, started off his football career. who will be joining us in just a few minutes here on the young Turks podcast. For the Illini, kind of a season of a few stories. Uh, coming into the season uh, for Coach Brad Underwood, uh, an amazing outlook. You know, possibly a winner of the Big Ten. Everyone calling uh, the Illini the sleeper pick to win it all this season. Well, as far as the conference is concerned, not nationally. But they were picked in the Final Four by a few people preseason. I did see that. Uh, they start off the season... Really, their first big game in 90-69 to loss to Arizona. From then on, kind of a struggle in the non-conference. They lost their Big Ten ACC Challenge game to Miami, and then it got started off in Big Ten play, their first uh, game in conference play, if you don't remember. Uh, the Terps' one-point stunning win over Illinois. They then beat Michigan, who at the time was very highly ranked. A- and then we kind of had that middle gap. They lost the game to Missouri, 
And then they we got into the full Big Ten play. Illinois loses a game to Michigan State by 20. And then they didn't lose again till their most recent game, which they lost in a very heated matchup at Iowa, which, of course, is kind of expected. You know, you lose one or two in the Big Ten this season on the road. Yeah, that's a good way to set it up. Illinois came not completely out of nowhere, but they really have played expectations this season, sitting at 8-2 and two in the conference. Um, and this game at Illinois is one of the biggest games in recent um, Illinois basketball history. I was reading the Illinois student newspaper recently, and this, this is it. And this Michigan State is not clearly at this point. They lost to Penn State last night. Not the team to beat anymore. Maryland is the team to beat right now. We are the most we're highly ranked by a mile now. We have Jalen Smith and Anthony Cowan are both in the top, probably the top five players in the Big Ten. We are just, we're the team everybody's going for, and Illinois is hosting us as a ranked matchup on Friday night. I looked at tickets on Subhub for this because it sold out. It's like 75 bucks to get in the door. This is the biggest game in Illinois basketball history since fill in the blank. And I, I don't know. I'm really excited for this game, Mason, but I'm nervous. I feel, I don't have a great feeling about it. Yeah, Jordan, as you just mentioned, um, if you want to sit in the lower bowl for this one, you're looking at about $176 a ticket. Uh, tickets in the lower bowl priced as high as $450. Uh, so between $170 and $150 for a good ticket to this one. Uh, in the middle deck, you get like $189, $190, and then in the upper levels, you can the get-in price right now, as you said, around $75. Huge game in Champaign, Illinois. doesn't really help... Uh, Timing-wise, it's on a Friday night at 7, not my favorite start time. Jordan, I know you feel similarly uh, about that one. Of course I hate it's a Friday night game, but I mean, it doesn't mean I'm not watching it. Um, is that 7 Eastern or 7 Central? That's important to me. It is at 7 Eastern. Okay, then 7 Central I can actually love with. Or I guess 6 Central. Um, but some players real quick to watch for Illinois. They are really spread out scoring-wise, which is one of the things that makes them so dangerous. But they're led by Io Dotsumo who I think a lot of people remember is the star guard for Illinois with 15, almost 16 points a game and one of the better three-point shooters in the conference. Uh, Coffee Cockburn has become one of the better big men in the conference. I, I just I can't bet against sticks against any center matchup, but this guy um, can rebound. He averages almost 10, po- 10 rebounds a game, excuse me. And they also have two other um, people who average 10-plus a game, including Trent Fraser, who a lot of trips will remember. So... Look, this is going to be a tough game. You need your stars to show up. You need to have sticks keep holding his own in the middle. I'm going to say Illinois wins this one. We're going to lose one eventually, and this is going to be a tough environment to play in. But you know what? The Maryland team has really earned our trust at this point. They've won six in a row in conference, in the best conference, maybe not the best, but the deepest conference in the country. They have two All-American caliber players. They have Jared Marcel, who's kind of turned into the third I don't want to say third wheel, but third option here. I, I trust in the Terps, but I'm still picking Illinois. I just got to hedge my bets on this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go against you here. I'm picking the Terps in this one. Maryland rolls, and I think they roll big over Illinois. Uh, the Terps just laid them up all over the court. They get hot, and suddenly Maryland's flying high as the uh, leader in the Big Ten and a top-ten team in the country. I, I see that that result happening. A quick look ahead for the Terps after they take on the Illini on Friday night. They'll head back home to take on Nebraska on Tuesday before heading out for a massive matchup next Saturday, possibly the college game day game, Jordan, a six o'clock tip against Michigan state. We will talk about that in our post game podcast for 
uh, after the Terps hopefully take down the Illini. Let's get to uh, Trey Watson now. And now we welcome in a very special guest to the Young Terps podcast, Trey Watson. Trey, nice to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So let's talk a little bit to get it started about your college career. Uh, starting off at Illinois, you were recruited by one coaching staff when you arrive on campus. Another coaching staff is in place. And then the next season, Lovey Smith, the current coach of the Illini, takes over. How was that for you? Because it seems to be one of the you know, big stories around college sports now is if the coach leaves, maybe the player should be able to transfer right away. What was kind of your experience with that? Yeah, so actually what, what kind of happened is, is uh, the first head coach, he was there for my redshirt year, so I didn't actually play, obviously, but he was there when, you know, when I got there. And then a week before the, my redshirt freshman year is when he got fired with the, with the um they had an issue with forcing players to play through injuries, so an injury scandal, and the university kind of went through that. But um, it certainly was tough. Uh, three three head coaches in um, really less than three calendar years, um, but you know, three different guys in three different football seasons. So it, it was a lot going on in a, in a very very short amount of time. Uh, probably had one of the most hectic careers you can have in terms of you know total head coaches, total position coaches, and just turnover in terms of uh, the staff around me. Well, then, you kind of alluded to this, in 2018, a similar thing happened in Maryland. You recruited by the uh, DJ Durkin staff, and by the time the season starts, Matt Cannon is the head coach. Was it kind of similar to the Illinois situation? It, it certainly was. Um, you know, like I said, similar, similar to what happened, you know, coaching staff and well, I mean, head coaches lost during camp, and then, you know, you kind of got to pick the pieces up and make it work. I uh, certainly didn't think that was going to happen in in my fifth and final year in college, um, especially, you know, coming from where I had come. I thought that was the last thing that I had to deal with there. But obviously, you know, things went the way they were, and that's just part of the experience. Yeah, and uh, continuing on to your actual playing time at Maryland, some some good times on the field when you were a Terp. What do you think your favorite uh, game or or plays were in your time at Maryland? You know, there were there were certainly a lot of great moments. Um, you know, as hectic as that year was, and you know, there was a lot of up and down the season just because we had so much going on really off the field that uh, just the games were kind of just a safe haven and just being able to play football. Um, you know, definitely had a lot of fun with that. But some of the best memories, obviously, the way we finished that fourth quarter against Texas, um, three straight turnovers on three straight drives to steal the game and, um, you know, started that off with that interception. That was really big. And then uh, just the Minnesota game, we came out in the second half and kind of really just blew apart everything they thought they had. Um, they thought it was a close game. And uh, I was able to pop that off with a pick six as well. And then from there, there was really nothing they could do. Uh, those two games in particular stick out just because how much fun they were. You know, even though Ohio State game is as poorly as it ended for us, you know, not being able to win, but it was, you know, incredible experience. Uh, one of the one of the best games of that football season, and probably in recent memory of some plays just in terms of the back and forth. Yeah, yeah, that Ohio State game, something that definitely sticks out uh, in the memories, I guess or I know in, in a lot of Maryland fans, do you think that's where this program 
is in a way. Like, they can compete in these games. We just haven't really been able to put it together on the field necessarily. Or do you think that there's more of a gap? Because that game, I mean, that was a one-point game. And then... Yeah, I mean, that that, that showed a flash of, of the team that Maryland can be, man. Uh, there's guys there. There were guys there when I was there. Um, there were guys there this past year. And, you know, certainly Coach Lockley is going to keep putting putting together more and more and, you know, try and get the thing moving forward. But there's there's potential, um, much more so than, than maybe people really grasp. It's just about, you know, getting those pieces to work together, not not for a quarter, not for one or two games, but for an entire football season and even an off season. You know, that's that's really where you build from a good football team to a great football program and that's you know, that's how these big you know, big teams really just keep it going every single year and it feels like you just can't beat them. You have to have consistency in, in so many areas. Well, that was a question that I had, Trey, is have you been following this Maryland football team uh, this last season? And also, what do you know about Coach Locks? Have you ever met him in person or anything like that? Uh, yeah, so I mean, definitely followed everything that's been going on uh, recruiting-wise, on the field-wise. And I had the chance to meet Coach Loxley um, last year when I was up there to accept uh, a, an award, the Gold Helmet Award for the University of Maryland from the, um, what was it, the Anaheim Football Club uh, for Maryland. So I got to meet him, um, talked with him a little bit, and you know, definitely, definitely liked um, his personality, the things he had to say about what he wanted to do for the program moving forward. Obviously, first year with a new staff is always hard. There's always a lot of turnover. I mean, literally, a whole you know, staff is turned over, rosters are turned over, uh, guys figuring out, you know, if starting over is something they want to do. Um, so it, it's challenging. This year was certainly challenging. There was, you know, a lot of optimism early on. Things looked great and then kind of got hit in the face really quickly with that Penn State game. So it, it's tough, man. Um, you know, I think there, there's a lot to build off of. And I feel like, like I said, the potential is there. It's just about, you know, getting everything aligned the right way and, being consistent. So, Trey, I have a question kind of – well, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but it's more in the larger landscape of college sports. You grad transferred to Maryland. What is your opinion of the whole transfer portal and grad transferring? Do you think that it should stay the way it is, or do you think every player should be granted one free transfer? What is your kind of opinion of the way the transfer portal is affecting college sports? I think um, it's pretty hectic right now because, you know, everyone just says, well, my name's in the portal, and then now they're just, you know, doing whatever they want to do. I mean, when I transferred, that was literally the semester before the whole portal thing um, got started. And, you know, the grad transfer rule, I was a fan of that because at least it gave some guys an incentive. Um, if you were graduated, then you were able to make your own decision. But I saw that the, the Big Ten, uh, what was that? At athletic directors were in support of, of a, a one-time transfer rule for all players. I feel like that'd be that'd be a great you know direction to move going forward. I mean, because you have you have guys who transfer and they they apply for the hardship clause clause, and then they don't get it when they actually have like real issues, like family members who passed away or or rough situations, and then you have high-profile players who literally are just transferring because they can't start somewhere. And even though, I mean, they probably knew that when they came in, they went to a school that brings in three or four five-star players, four-star players at their position every year, and then they get, you know, they get the waiver approved, and that's, that's a 
a backwards way to do it. So the, the one-time wear would be something that would be really big and just beneficial for all, and then you kind of just have a uniform way you can do it. Um, you don't really have to worry about a peeling and all that kind of stuff. It's a one-time thing. You just do it. It works out. Um, you know, if, if the guys don't use it, then, you know, it's all good. All right, well, one more question, unless you have anything else, Mason. Uh, about Maryland? Yeah. I mean, we can swing back around to it, Jordan. It's... Yeah, maybe we should. Um, I just want to get to real quick, Trey. Your brother Christian, I'm a North Dakota State Bison, and he has been so much fun to watch this season. How did he end up at the FCS level? Because that is an athletic kid. Yeah, um, you know, things, things work out differently for everybody. Uh, recruiting in high school, especially these days, is, you know, the earlier you develop, the more looks you get. And he... I was a late bloomer myself. I kind of every year graduated, or not graduated, but grew incrementally to where I was my true size my senior year, which affected my recruiting as well. But he really just, he wasn't six over six foot tall until the spring of his senior year. Um, and that, you know, really hurt him recruiting-wise. He was undersized. It, you know, it affects your confidence when, you know, you're not able to, you know, really compete because physically you just feel like other guys are bigger, faster, and stronger than you. But uh, his senior year, he, he got to just under what he's at right now. And then just at, in college, he's really just grown into his body. Uh, he feels extremely comfortable, especially this past season. And, you know, he's always been an incredible athlete, um, jumping, sprinting, basically doing whatever he wants to do against whoever. And now that he's in a position where he's comfortable in his body, uh, he, he's basically unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe he was only six feet tall in the spring of his senior year because he's like six three, six four now. Yeah, yeah, he, he definitely uh, passed both of his sisters and dad in the family pictures in, in less than a year. Uh, pretty crazy how that happened. And now, you know, the folks were telling me I was tall, and then, you know, a couple months later, it's dang, you look short compared to him. So do you guys get to play together at all in high school, or do you kind of miss each other? So my senior year was his freshman year. Um, I ended up staying at Tampa Catholic during my final football season while he enrolled at Plant. Um, Plant was a school that ideally I would have went to for high school coming out, um, you know, of eighth grade, but uh, we didn't we didn't live close enough, and that just it just didn't work out. But him having an opportunity to stay there for four years and uh, with you know one of the most high quality football programs in Tampa and the state of Florida, really nationally, especially at the time. Um, it was best for him to stay there. So we didn't get to play against each other, but uh, that was the only overlap we had. Um, so this is maybe a little bit of a strange question, but did you know Christian had nine plays over 40 yards this season? Yeah. Um, you know, this year was, at the same time, that it was incredibly exciting uh, to watch him, you know, grow into the, the player I knew he was capable of being, and certainly the rest of my family did. It was also frustrating. Uh, it, it really couldn't get the ball to him, especially early on, probably the first five, six games of the season. They couldn't get the ball to him as many times as I felt they should have, being what he was capable of doing. For At that point, he was probably averaging 20 or 30 yards, you know, every time he touched the ball, but he only touched the ball once, maybe every other game, those first couple of games. But, I mean, dude is a big play threat, man. I mean, it's, it's rare that you find a combination of size and speed in, you know, a 6'4", 200-plus pound frame, especially once you get the ball in his hands, you know, he's 
he had the physicality that he wasn't really getting tackled very often. And I mean, someone someone who's that big at the FCS level, it's it's hard to find guys who can match up with that, no matter how good the team is. Absolutely. Um, so, what what play from this season? Because he had some great plays, though, especially towards the end of the year. What play stood out in your mind as his best this season? Uh, I'd say you know he really just kept building on it. Um, you know that that first long touchdown against Youngstown State sticks out because that's the type of play that we had been looking for all year to just let him run down the field and uh, you know hope Trey would give him a chance uh, to make a big play. That one sticks out. Obviously, him hurdling over a guy who was almost standing straight up um, is, is ridiculous, something I definitely can't do or never would be able to do, so that's crazy. But the biggest one would be in that semifinal game, the, the, the back-to-back 70-yard touchdown um, yeah. on, on the catch and on the run. That's that's what he's capable of being. He's, he's capable of being someone who literally you have the angle on him and he runs right by your angle without you even being able to touch him. You're sitting there wondering what happened. That's the type of speed he has. That's the type of uh, you know body control he has to be able to to make those type of plays consistently. So uh, you know, hopefully he goes into this year, you know, taking that confidence to the next level. And you see that you know every single game, you know, as much as possible. I hope so. He really, I did feel like he's underutilized this season um, as well. So one more on this front. Um, you have to come out to Fargo for a game yet? So uh, the only game I got to come to was uh, once I once I decided I was leaving, um, I went to NDSU for a visit and I watched uh, their second round playoff game when um, when he was he was registering. So he I haven't gotten to see him play in a game yet. Well, no, that's not true. I went to the national championship this past year, but uh, he didn't have any catches actually in either national championship game now. So. Um, I've seen two games, one he played in, but I haven't gone to one where he's been playing in Fargo. Definitely need to uh, make it back out that way. It's a special place to watch the game. I didn't even put put together in my head that uh, Frisco is right by you down there in Dallas. Yeah, um, I wasn't able to get there this year because we were in we were in training camp, and I was unfortunately bumped over to Houston, which you know is crazy. I'm you know on the team in Dallas, and then I'm in Houston with the one time he's basically down the street. Uh, but yeah. All right, well, I think next up we got the XFL questions. Mason, you can take most of these since I take the whole last chunk. I mean, that's your school. I, I, don't, I don't know really what to say about that. Now, if um, Christian was down here at Jacksonville, Jordan, it would have been the same thing. But we don't even have football here anymore. They actually canceled the program. Uh, so now on to the XFL, something that's starting up. What was kind of your process of getting to the XFL? You spent training camp this past season with the – uh, Miami Dolphins, and then how did the XFL opportunity come up for you, Trey? Yeah, so, I mean, just once everything happened with the Dolphins, um, you know, I'm, I'm working out for teams on a week-to-week basis trying to figure out if I was going to get a, you know, a practice squad call or something like that during the year. So I'm I'm just waiting on that, and my agent just said, you know, the XFL is about to start. When you, you know, you, get a, you got an invitation to the draft pool. Do you want to accept that? And, I mean, you know, by all means, it would have been stupid for me to pass up uh, an opportunity to keep playing and a chance to get back to doing what I want to do. So that's how it came up. And then, you know, from there, uh, come the draft, you know, the, the Renegades just ended up calling me on, what, I think it was the second or third day. And from there, I was just, you know, ready to go, ready to get out here and get it started again. 
Yeah, the coach of the Dallas Renegades, obvious football legend Bob Stoops. Were you excited to figure out that you were going to play for one of the uh, all-time greats college football coaches that's starting up this new league? You know, I definitely was. Um, with the new league, there's always been a question about credibility and football. Um, and I feel like they've done a great job in just the entire league in terms of, you know, putting guys in the right place to start, making sure that the product on the field is good. And having someone like Coach Stoops, uh, you know, adds a lot of credibility to what we're going to do as a team and what people expect from us. So it's definitely a great starting point. Yeah, definitely. And, and something to kind of keep an eye out is who the XFL really attracts, you know, moving forward. You have guys like Bob Stoops in the league and then, of course, you know, a great set of players that have, you know, you you played for two schools in college, a few coaches. You know, there's such – everybody in football seems to know everybody. So a, a league like the XFL is going to get, I think, attract a lot of people that maybe are done in college football or done in the NFL, and then they kind of move on. They see the XFL as just another opportunity. What do you think – what do you think the uh, similarities and differences are between the XFL camp versus, you know, the training camps you had in college and the training camp that you attended in the NFL? What is, what's similar and what's different about the XFL? You know, um, they tried to set up a pro atmosphere here, so that's you know that's what relates it to the NFL. And then we had we had a mini camp period where you know things are lighter and there's a lot more rules, uh, similar to you know the off season OTAs and, and mini camps that they hold in the NFL. And then, you know, we had the, we had a centralized training camp, so that's a little different from the NFL, obviously, all the teams being in one place. But that, that really helped the league in terms of scheduling joint practices and, you know, being able to have preseason scrimmages slash, you know, games and all those kind of things just to get teams oriented but still give it a, a camp feel where, you know, you play against yourself and then you get opportunities to see other guys in a, in a more controlled environment uh, heading into the regular season. Yeah, that seems to be an idea that um, all-team kind of joint training camp idea. I know the Premier Lacrosse League did that in their first season, and I know some other leagues have been doing that. Do you like that idea, having that ability just to, you know, not have to travel to do a joint training camp or, you know, having everybody in that one place? Do you like that centralized feel of it? I mean, it's, it's certainly not bad, and especially with the league that only has, you know, eight teams and, uh, you know, starting up, starting up, obviously, you don't have the amount of resources that you know, a league like the NFL has. So it saves money, um, it saves time, and still allows you to get everything you need to done, especially in a you know, massive city like Houston. There were more than enough places to practice, more than enough uh, facilities and hotels to house everybody, and then you know, be, being able to get the games and the practices in. Uh, it worked really well. And I feel like it's something that, you know, when you're in that kind of setting, especially starting up, uh, it's something that's effective at getting done what you need to get done. So, kind of to the more logistical part of XFL, so are they, do they set you guys up with, like, living arrangements and stuff, or do you guys have to figure that out on your own once you get selected to your team? So, I mean, they give us hotel options um, that they cover, and then uh, if, you, if you want to do something else, then they'll, you know, they'll let you do that, but that would be on your own, uh, you know, cost-wise. Yeah, that's a nice, at least you get some options there. You don't have to do whatever they're telling you to do. So you only got, by the time this was released, about five days before your next game. Are you really excited to get to be playing competitive football again after about a year break? Uh, definitely am, man. Um, you know, playing playing some meaningful games that count towards something and just getting an opportunity uh, to play the game, you know, you want to play, especially in 
being able to do it and make money at the same time uh, and have, a, have another opportunity to get back to the NFL, which is, you know, where I want to be and where a lot of these guys want to be. Uh, you know, everyone's at different stages in their career. Some guys have played multiple years in the league. You know, some guys have been out of football for a while, and this is their second chance that way. And, um, you know, everyone everyone is approaching it with the same opportunity. But it's definitely an exciting time. Uh, there's a lot of buzz around the league just in terms of being able to offer, you know, high-level football in the spring when, you know, normally there, would, there wouldn't be any. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a unique opportunity. It's a unique time period, and it's definitely going to be fun moving forward. There's, um, I believe, seven Maryland players in the XFL. Have you crossed over with any of your teammates at Illinois or at Maryland uh, in the recent training camp? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a former guy, uh, Chris Chris Dunn, offensive lineman. He was on the Seattle team, and I, I met some other guys that I had trained with and played against at different places. And then um, we, we played against the L.A. team. I played against a kid that I knew from Illinois. Um, and I was another kid I knew from Tampa, and then St. Louis was the same way. Kid from Illinois, kid from uh, the Dolphins that I played with. Uh, guys are everywhere, and you know we'll certainly see more as the season goes on, as guys are scattered around. Uh, you know, Savon is on the uh, New York team, I believe. I believe. There's a couple Maryland players on the the team nine practice squad team that they've got, and that's actually going to be here in Dallas. I'll probably see them around the way too. Um, there's guys everywhere. All right, Trey, now moving back to – we'll swing it all the way back around to Maryland. I have um, just a few questions about what you think about the program kind of moving forward. You kind of held down that inside linebacker position, and before you, Jermaine Carter, was there, that position is just so important to the scheme that the Terps are running. The inside linebacker is kind of considered that quarterback of the defense. Who do you think is going to kind of step into that role that you played with at Maryland? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys. Uh, this year, we saw some different guys step up into that role. Obviously, Isaiah Davis finished out his career there. And, you know, maybe overcast by, you know, guys like Jermaine and I, but I mean, he started a solid three, three and a half years there and um, was consistently reliable uh, doing what he needed to do. And then this, this past year and this year will be big for Ayende um, Ely. We call him Ace. Uh, his opportunities are going to be more and more present now. Chance Campbell really stepped into it last year as well, and you know, look for him to make a bigger role. Um, and then you know, you'll see some new guys. I know they recruited some some young kids over the last two years. A couple kids from Florida, um, you know, that I recognize just from from being around. And we'll see what happens with them. Um, you know, opportunities will be present for everyone to to make a statement. But I definitely look for Ace and Chance to really uh, lead the room and and become more mature. Uh, you know leading linebackers. Yeah, and then my other and kind of final question about Maryland is, and I think this was one that a lot of the haters and a lot of people that say this program is in absolute disarray don't really understand. I think you do, given your college experience, especially with coaching, is, you know, some of the guys still on this roster, especially some of them last year, had a period where they've seen two or three head coaches, if you really count Matt Canada as the head coach at a time, and different position coaches every year. A lot of people want Coach Loxley to go ahead and, you know, fire John Hoke, the defensive coordinator, and fire some of the position coaches. Is it really important, and I kind of think you can speak to this, it's really important to have a, like, kind of set program with the same people around, your same position coaches, and you're trying to, you know, move your team towards one thing. 
Do you like the fact that Coach Loxley kept this staff intact going into next season at the best he could? Um, I, I think I think I really do, man. Stability is huge, um, in, really in any facet of life. Um, you know, it'd be just as hard to run an effective business if uh, the CEO, the general manager, everyone on the board is is constantly leaving. It's it's hard to get used to the environment. It's hard to become an effective work group, and the same certainly applies to you know people who come in at 17 or 18 years old and are you know maturing and going through uh, you know the hardest school of their life while playing football um, you know in the Big Ten against some of the best teams that you know you'll ever see. So that's that's something that is big, man. And you know it's hard to understand. Obviously, like you said, going through all those coaches, you're learning different systems, you're learning different schemes, you're learning you're learning different people. Um, and ultimately, the, the coaches are responsible for working on that, as well as the players, you know, both developing relationships and, and being able to be productive on the field, because ultimately that's, you know, that's what people want to see, and that's, that's your job. But, I mean, you look at you look at all the big programs, man. You, you might see one or two coaches uh, leaving, you know, from, from one year to the next, but they're usually leaving for, you know, big promotions because they did so well at the stop they were at. But... For the most part, you know, you see guys that are there for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, head coaches who have been there 10 plus years. And, you know, that, that leads to long term success because you, you can count on them being there when you start. You can count on them being there again when you finish. And uh, that's really important, really, especially really important to, like I said, 17, 18 year old kids who are coming in um, looking for guidance, looking for someone to lead them in the direction that they say they want to go. All right. Um, just. I have just two more, I think. Um, so Matt Canda, by the way, is with the Pittsburgh Steelers as the quarterback coach now. Uh, I guess how does it make you feel now that your old head coach is I – I don't know if it's a move up to be a quarterback coach in the NFL versus the coach in Maryland, but he's certainly doing something now. Well, he's back in football because he did take a year off. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm definitely excited for Coach Canada. Um, you know, I think, I think he did his best in no one. Obviously, a really rough situation at the time, especially he was even newer than me. He got hired in like February or March, and then all all that really started at the end of May. Uh, you know, probably two months. He probably didn't even know a lot of guys' names when all that stuff started happening. So um, that was really hard on him. But uh, you know, he really really did a good job handling it, and you know, made sure to put put us as a team first, and that's what he did every day. So. You know, I'm happy for him to have had the opportunity. Got to see him for about a week, and uh, when I was with the Dolphins, they had him down there doing some advising and stuff like that. So it's definitely good to see him get an opportunity. Um, you know, he'll get to work at a, a, a renowned, you know, organization, and uh, you know, get to be there probably for the end of you know Ben Roethlisberger's career. And that's few people will get to say they work with someone you know who's a Hall of Fame quarterback. And my last question is throwing it back a little bit. Is there anything you want to say now to all the Maryland haters, the people that are saying the program should be canceled or get the death penalty or all that now that we're a couple of years removed from that whole situation? Man, um, you know, people people have to understand that, you know, when things like that happen, it's it's hard on everybody. Um, people like that clearly aren't putting the players first. They certainly aren't putting Jordan McNair and his, and his family's memory first. Um, you know, and, and understanding what – what is best for everyone moving forward. Um, you know, there's people who are responsible for the things that happened and, and the way that things went. And, um, you know, to an extent, those people are the ones who need to be 
punished for it and who need to, you know, respond to that situation. Not not all those players, you know, really had, had no say in what happened and nothing to do with that. Uh, uh, the death penalty is something that's been used, what, one time on SMU, and then their program was just ranked for the first time since that happened, I think, this year. So clearly yeah. that's an extreme measure and uh, certainly not one that needs to be used often. I agree, and I think it was frustrating that people – it seemed uninformed to me that people were throwing that out there when it's such an extreme penalty for really – I'm not going to say no reason, but it was very extreme for that situation. Yeah, absolutely. So, right, well, Mason, I'm out. You got anything else? No, Trey, uh, from us, people have seen Turp Nation for, I don't know, what is it, 18 and 21 years. Thank you for your leadership with our program in its probably its darkest it, it, it in its darkest day. We would like to really thank you for stepping up and giving it your all and being really a true leader on that team. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. You know, as 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 hectic as the year was, um, you know, still really enjoyed it, really enjoyed that team and uh you know, made lifelong memories and lifelong friends, man. All right and, and good luck in the XFL. Um you start your first game on Sunday at five PM, right? Yes, sir. All right, we'll be sure to be watching you, and uh, good luck this season. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Trey, for coming on. And that was Trey Watson. We would like to thank Trey for uh, joining us on tonight's podcast, Jordan. Yes, we would. Um, a great, great honor to have Mon. Honestly, a second team All Big Ten player, first team. Sorry, second team All American, first team All Big Ten, and a pro football player. You know, the XFL. I'm excited for. It. I can't even hide it. I'm super excited for this. Hopefully they learn from the mistakes that AAF made. Yeah, hopefully they do. That starts off uh, this weekend. Yep, first game, DC Defenders host the Seattle Seattle Dragons, I believe, on uh, this weekend on ABC at 2 o'clock Eastern. And then you can catch Trey with the Dallas Renegades on Sunday at 5 Eastern on ESPN. Yes, you can. Make sure to check out Trey Watson there. Uh, that's going to be a wrap for this podcast. Uh, hopefully the Terps can take down Illinois Friday night in Champaign and be right there in the mix of things in the top five maybe next week. You can, you definitely can play with the idea of being in the top five if we win. Um, yeah, but we'll be back this weekend. We'll be back a lot sooner if we win than if we lose, I'd probably say. But uh, what's that? What's after Illinois? Is that North? That's Nebraska, right? Yeah. Yeah, we just talked about it. Terps take on Nebraska after Illinois. Uh, as Jordan just said, we'll be back with our next podcast after uh, the Terps battle the Fighting Illini on Friday night. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Viner Four Gates in Rockville, for all of your business IT needs. Viner Four Gates is your one-stop shop. You can reach them at 301-251-2900 or on the web at the number one, Viner.com and Ally Party Rentals. For all your party rental needs, big or small, Allied is your place to go. You can visit them at AlliedPartyRentals.com. And as always, thanks for listening.